Hey, it's Martine. A quick message before we start today's show. You may have noticed I am handing over the hosting reins for a few weeks while I'm off on a reporting trip, working on a story that I'm so excited to share with y'all. Until I'm back at the end of this month, you'll be hearing from my official new co-host, Alahe Azadi, as well as a whole crew of other guest hosts from around the newsroom, bringing you the most interesting and insightful stories of the day. Today, we've got my colleague and friend, Rachel Curzius. You are in great hands. Enjoy the show. Meet Shira Pindyke. She's an academic in Philadelphia and mom to Lev, who's a little over a year and a half. Lev is, has got a lot of um, opinions and, and sass. Uh, she loves our dog Vashti. Vashti loves her too, even though sometimes she does some things to annoy Vashti, like pulling on her tail. She's like a pretty happy, easygoing kid. Back in July of this year, Lev got sick with what at first seemed like a cold. But at daycare, she started sort of acting extremely lethargic, and she wasn't interested in eating, which is very abnormal for her. And so they sent her home, and I just really noticed that she was breathing really rapidly. Shira and her partner called their pediatrician, who said, you know what, bring Lev in, we'll take a look. And the moment they saw her, they said to go to the ER immediately. Lev had RSV, which stands for respiratory syncytial virus. RSV can be a common cause for symptoms that look like a cold. Runny noses, coughs, fevers. Lev is one of many children who's recently been hospitalized for RSV. I think seeing your child that sad and uncomfortable and afraid is horrible. And I mean, also, you know, if your child is having trouble breathing, I mean, we both spent all of those nights awake watching her breathe. We were extremely lucky. We were at an excellent hospital that was extremely close to our house. But throughout the process, we were thinking about, you know, well, what if we lived an hour away from the hospital? What if there weren't enough beds in the observation unit? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, This is Post Reports. I'm Rachel Kurzius. It's Friday, October 28th. Today, we're talking about RSV. Children's hospitals all over the country are overwhelmed right now with RSV patients. RSV is common among children, but the timing of this surge is really unusual. And it's not the only strain on our healthcare system. The flu is getting an early start this year. Just today, the CDC released some alarming numbers. There have already been 360 flu-related deaths nationally. At least one of them was a pediatric death. I talked with Fennett Nirapil. He's a health reporter for The Post, and he says the doctors are worried, especially as they're dealing with the current crush of RSV cases. Right now, children's hospitals across the United States are under strain as they're dealing with a barrage of children admitted for a variety of respiratory viruses. And the biggest one among them is RSV, which is short for respiratory syncytial virus. It's one of the most common viruses that uh, babies get. In fact, almost every child is going to be exposed to RSV by the time they turn two years old. It's one of the most frequent viruses that causes cold-like symptoms in small children. And so it's 
very normal for for children to get RSV. And then when you have a lot of children getting sick at once, even though RSV for the most part is mild and is just going to result in run-of-the-mill cold symptoms, there's going to be that small percentage of children who get severely ill. And when you have a child who's running into issues breathing and eating, they require good care. They require hospitalization. And so right now we're in this phase where we're seeing an unusual surge in RSV and other respiratory viruses that we don't normally see at this time of year. And a lot of kids are getting hit at once. And that means that small percentage of children who are so sick that they have to be hospitalized, it's creating a real strain on children's hospitals, which aren't used to uh, dealing with the flood of pediatric patients at this time of year. Can you tell me more about the idea that this is overwhelming children's hospitals, what does that look like in practice? So you have a host of respiratory viruses surging in the United States right now or continuing to circulate in the United States. You have COVID-19, which hasn't gone away. It isn't a bit of a lull right now, but it's still out there. It's still infecting kids. You have influenza. It's higher than normal. We've been worried about the return of flu season for several years now. This year might actually finally be the one. And then you have RSV. That's surging. It's been surging since late summer, and we don't normally see RSV at this time of year. So with all these uh, viruses in the backdrop, nationally we're seeing about three-quarters of pediatric hospital beds occupied. And this is before the usual busy winter months. So we have the pediatric healthcare system in the United States experiencing a strain that it normally doesn't experience at this time of year. Doctors in dozens of states, including Illinois, seeing a big jump in cases of RSV in young children. It's a respiratory infection that typically impacts babies and toddlers. Hospitals are reporting a spike in the infections earlier than normal. We are only a month into fall, and already there's a virus circulating in parts of the country leading to serious illness in young children. And it's not COVID-19. The problem is so bad for Connecticut's Children's Hospital in Hartford that they are considering calling in the National Guard and FEMA for help. Connecticut Children's Hospital is one of the children's hospitals that's really been raising alarms about what they're experiencing as they've been seeing a surge of children come in with RSV. So the physician-in-chief there, Juan Salazar, he said for the first time in his career he's had to mandate doctors and other specialties to work with RSV patients, and he likened it to the all-hands-on-deck situation that we were seeing at various COVID-19 surges when everyone has to be enlisted onto the front lines of COVID-19. 19, they're experiencing something similar with RSV right now because of the crush of patients that they're dealing with. The emergency room has been so full that patients were being triaged in hallways. Teens with bone fractures and appendicitis were being diverted or transferred to adult care centers in order to create additional space for respiratory patients. Connecticut Children's got a lot of attention, too, because they were talking about enlisting the National Guard to set up tents and care for the influx of patients. They've since backed off that option. It doesn't look like they're going to need to do that. And. You mentioned that RSV has symptoms that are similar to the common cold, that it's actually quite common as far as illnesses go for children. Is it that it's more severe right now, which is leading to hospitalization, or is it just that there's an unusual surge in terms of the season? Like, what what is happening here that's creating that need for additional logistical support? 
So this is something of an open question, but what I'm hearing when I talk to hospitals and experts is it's more an issue of timing, mm. that normally the RSV season is from November to early March. This year and actually the year before, too, we really started to see cases take off in late summer. So we think that this is a fallout of the pandemic. A lot of young children who would normally be exposed to RSV when going to daycare and when playing with other children, going to the playground, they weren't getting that same kind of exposure back in 2020, back in 2021 during the height of pandemic restrictions. Now you have kids who have less immunity to viruses, who are going back to school, who are going back to daycare and have more opportunities for exposure to RSV. So that may be why we're seeing a uh, a level of sickness that we don't normally see at this time of year. But to your question on whether it might be more severe, one of the theories that's out there is that children who've been exposed to COVID-19 and who've had COVID-19 before, even if it was asymptomatic, even if it was a classic, uh, mild pediatric case of COVID-19, they may have weaker immune systems now that make it harder for their bodies to fight off RSV and when an RSV case may have been uh, milder if they didn't have COVID-19. You have this situation where there's all these different viruses out there. You might not necessarily know which one is infecting your kid, and it can be unpredictable whether what starts as a runny nose can turn into something more serious. I don't want to, like, fearmonger here, too, because most kids who contract any of these viruses are going to be okay. But the reality and that we've been learning throughout this pandemic is when you have mass infections, a small percentage of a very large number is still a large number. And that's thousands of children that we're talking about here. After the break, how this is impacting families and how the healthcare system is responding. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Fennett, I spoke with one parent, Shira Pindike, whose child Lev was recently hospitalized for RSV. Now, I'm happy to say that Lev is feeling much better now, but Shira was telling me about the emotional toll that the whole experience took on both her daughter and her family as a whole. She's terrified of doctors. It's gotten a little bit better. But she didn't like when doctors touch her stomach. She didn't like stethoscopes. All understandable. But yeah, it, it, had, it had really significant and lasting implications. Uh, I really hope that she'll forget about this. I don't think we are going to forget about it anytime in the near future. Fennett, what does Shira's experience bring up for you? I guess when I hear this, um, I just often think about how, especially since the pandemic, I feel like people's response to uh, viral threats and diseases are like, oh, well, people aren't dying in mass, so it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, no. Any sort of viral outbreak, even if it's not killing people, it's taking a real toll on our society. And what's happening in the country right now, it's like 
it might not be a, a Category 5 situation. It may not be mass death in hospitals, but it's not good either. What we're seeing is taking a real toll on the country's children and the country's parents. It seems like we should have already known that we were going to have these kinds of healthcare capacity problems after years of the pandemic. Our colleagues at The Post have written extensively about this question. So why hasn't our healthcare system been better prepared for this and other surges? <laughs> this is like this is the big central question with the healthcare system in the United States. There's something fundamentally broken about healthcare in the United States. The profit incentives compared to the health needs of the population and the challenges that we face, they just don't line up. And we've seen a broader trend in pediatric care in the United States that pediatric hospital beds are generally not considered the profitable ones. And we've seen a trend of pediatric uh, hospital rooms being converted to adult rooms because there's more money to be made off of adult care. The uh, rate of children being hospitalized right now It's a small percentage of the overall number of children who are contracting these viruses, but the healthcare system is not set up in a way that it can really absorb these kind of surges as they come, particularly if they're coming in a way that's not always as uh, predictable. But we are also seeing the patterns mirror what we saw last year in 2021. So what's happening right now isn't entirely shocking. It could be the start of a post-pandemic normal. We don't know if this is going to last a year from now or two years from now now or if we're seeing a permanent change in respiratory virus seasons or if this is a temporary blip. I just want to sit for a second with what you said about the notion that pediatric beds are just not as profitable as adult beds. And so that's why we've seen so many beds for sick children converted into a different use. I think that that's just really stunning. In terms of the parents' perspective, what should parents be looking out for in terms of RSV, especially because so many of those symptoms dovetail with common things that wouldn't warrant a hospital visit? The big thing to look out for is your child having trouble breathing because it can often start as runny nose and appearing to be a mild cold. But when your child is starting to wheeze, when they're struggling to breathe, and when you notice that they're not eating, they're sleeping a lot more, lethargic, those are all warning signs to seek medical attention for your child. To the uh, question, too, of what parents should be doing with all this information, the big plea that I've heard consistently in my reporting is keep your kid home when they're sick. It's so tough when you're a parent of a young child because it can feel like your kid is always sick (laughs) at times with how common uh, viruses are. But the problem is there are so many different viruses out there and their symptoms can be so overlapping. So we don't necessarily know... uh, just how anandine, that virus that your kid is infected with, is. We don't know if what your kid has is going to be super mild to another kid that they're exposed to. So we're already seeing anecdotal reports of entire daycares having scores or hundreds of kids out. You're in a situation right now where there's a lot of sickness going around. Most kids are going to be okay. Not all of them are going to be okay. So it's a time for vigilance, for signs of uh, viruses and respiratory problems. Right. So 
This is the big idea we've been hearing throughout the pandemic when it comes to public health, that the best way you can protect your own family is to envision them as part of this much larger interlocking community. And the idea is to try to protect everyone. But I mean, it's hard, Rachel, yeah. like, because our society isn't necessarily one that's built around helping uh, people through these periods of mass infections because many parents have to work or they don't have access to childcare when their kids are sick. So we don't make it easy in American society to deal with sick children and to keep them at home. So it's one thing to say that this is what we should be doing. The reality on the ground is different for a lot of people, though. Yeah, I think the idea of, oh, protect the community, protect your child by protecting other children is a really abstract idea that then gets hit up against the much more real pragmatic question of, I have to go to work. My child may have the sniffles, but I can't leave them at home and I certainly can't take them with me. So what am I going to do? Aside from that, what are some other recommendations for how parents can protect their kids. What about getting boosted, getting vaccinated? Are these things that we should be thinking about? So there's no uh, vaccine for RSV, although there are promising developments in the hunt for an RSV vaccine. There are, however, vaccines available for COVID-19 and influenza, and that's the big recommendation we always get is keep your uh, children up to date on their shots. Even if they can't be protected against every single virus that's out there, the more they can be protected against, uh, the better. And to go back to the theme of like the individual versus the community, when your child is vaccinated for flu or COVID-19, even if they do end up getting it, the vaccine will make it far less likely that they're going to be hospitalized or have severe outcomes. Outcomes. And when we're seeing strains on the healthcare system, the more sick kids we can keep out of the hospital, the better, so that everyone in society can be receive the medical care that they need. And Fennett, you already know this about me, but I'm approaching the story as somebody who is very pregnant at yeah. this point. And I guess I'm wondering, what does this story say about viruses and the outlook for what we can expect this fall and winter, both for children and for the healthcare system more broadly right now? More broadly, the pandemic isn't over. Like, that's important to remember. We're staring down the likelihood of another winter surge here, and it's not just of COVID. Influenza is a serious concern again. RSV is already turning out to be a concern. We are staring down this uh, winter medley of all these different viruses, bringing our healthcare system to its knees again. In terms of what we can do about it, we're not going to see calls for societal shutdown or anything like that, but it doesn't mean that we have to shut down or stay at home to deal with this. The best things that we can do are get our shots to reduce the severity of our illness, to stay home when we are sick, and to be vigilant for what appears to be a mild illness uh, turning into something worse, just to be on guard. When you talk about this winter medley of illnesses, it sounds like, honestly, the world's worst cocktail. Fennet <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nirapal. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Rachel. Fennett Nirapel covers healthcare in the pandemic for The Post. Ariel Plotnik produced this story. That's it for Post Reports. Thank you for listening. Today's episode was mixed by Sam Baer and edited by Rena Flores, our supervising senior producer. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Ted Muldoon is our senior producer. 
Your hosts are Elahe Azadi and Martine Powers. Lucy Perkins is our editor. Our producers are Eliza Dennis, Sharla Freeland, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnick, Arjun Singh, Jordan Marie Smith, and Renny Svernofsky. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are our assistant producers. Sean Carter is our engineer. The Post's director of audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Rachel Kurzius. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.